Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who is charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we continued our look at the prosecution's direct examination of Dr. Lewis Schlesinger, as prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn led the witness through a critique of the evaluation methods of defense expert Dr. Charles Hassan. On today's installment, we conclude our exploration of Dr. Schlesinger's testimony, including our review of the defense cross-examination of the witness. That's all coming up right after the break. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. It's late afternoon on April 7th, 2022. As we ended our last episode, Prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn finished leading his expert witness, Dr. Lewis Schlesinger, through his critique of the methods of defense expert Dr. Charles Hassan. We begin today as Shellhorn moves on to seek Dr. Schlesinger's critique of the other defense expert, Dr. Stephen Simring. Before we get to some of your uh, diagnoses, doctor, you indicated that you were aware of Dr. Simring's diagnoses? Yes. And you... Uh, you're aware that he diagnosed the defendant with delusional disorder, persecutory type, and depression disorder. Yes. With respect to depression disorder, would that affect a person's ability to know right from wrong? Uh, generally, no. Would that affect a person's ability to know uh, and appreciate the nature and quality of their acts? No, generally no. But I should I should say I disagreed with Dr. Simry with, with respect to his diagnosis of depression. Doc, you explain that? Yeah, Dr. Simring diagnosed Michael as having a, pers a persistent depressive disorder. That's essentially a chronic low-grade depression, like a characterological depression, like a person who's like dyspeptic, you know, a downer. I disagreed. I think he had recurrent major depressive episodes, and I based it on a, a number of factors, including I read the text messages from years ago with Ann Picardo, his long-term therapist. And it's way more than, uh, than persistent depression. So I disagree with Dr. Simmering with respect to depression. I think he had a more significant uh, area of depression intermittently or recurrently. And with respect to the diagnosis of delusional disorder, mm -hmm. are you aware of the delusion that Dr. Simmering identified? Uh, I'm not exactly sure of the delusion Dr. Simmering identified. I, 
I mean, he said it a couple different ways. It's not 100% clear. He, he, all these text, me, um, text, not text messages, uh, Facebook postings that Lauren put on the internet. Dr. Simring asked him essentially, uh, what do you think of those? And he said they were harassing and annoying. And Dr. Simring in his report said, I disagree with him. They were coded messages where he thought Lauren was going to kill him. Or I think, I, I think that, that that's what he said. But there was no, from what I read his report, there was no real clear delineation of what exactly this delusion was. Anyway, that's, but there's no basis for that at all. Well, did you find any evidence of delusions based on your examination of Michael Barris? No, I found, I found no evidence of this at all. And here's what's important with respect to a delusion. This may have got lost in the translation here. A delusion is not a fear. If you're frightened, if you're terrified, that is not a delusion. That's an emotional state. A delusion is a false belief not based in reality, and those in your circle try to dissuade you of it, like I mentioned with the guy with the company. In this particular case, the people in his circle, whether it was Mary Haskins and, or Ruth Cox, they agreed with him about Lauren's dangerousness. If you listen to Mary Haskins' interview with the police, you don't have to go beyond five minutes. She sits down, she tells what her name is and where she's from, and the first thing she said is, we're terrified for our lives. Is Mary Haskins delusional too? And at the end of Mary Haskins' statement to the police, you have to listen to the very end because it's about an hour where nothing, she's just sitting there in a room. At the very end, she said, um, I don't know where I'm going to stay tonight. I can't stay at the farm because Lauren's father is going to come and kill me. Is that a delusion? I mean, she's now delusional? Look what Ruth Cox said. Ruth Cox said multiple times, Lauren is dangerous. Lauren's going to not give up until she gets what she wants. Lauren is going to said to Michael, Lauren's going to set you up for sexual assault because she knows it's not defensible. Get her out of here. She's dangerous. Now, Ruth Cox is also dangerous. You mean everybody's delusional there? Nobody's delusional there. Are they frightened? Yes, but that is not a delusion. That's not a break with reality. Now, <clears throat> did you ask Michael Barrison about the pressure that he was feeling with respect to Mr. Goodwin and Ms. Canrack being at the property? Yes. I mean, there was a long-standing conflict there. There was an interpersonal conflict between Michael and, and Lauren right from the beginning when they were in Florida. Keep in mind, they met in Florida. Lauren came from North Carolina. They met, met in Florida. There was interpersonal problems in Florida. They went to New Jersey, more interpersonal problems. They went back to Florida, more interpersonal problems. At this point, if you're so delusional that a person's going to going to kill you, why do you let him back to New Jersey? They're down at, it's a perfect break time. You're down in Florida. We're done. We're not doing any more training. Take your horses, put them in North Carolina, but we're, we're, our, our training is over. You graduated or something like that. Why let him back? He told me why he let him back. He said he needed the money. He said, I was in under financial pressure. He had a divorce going on. He, you know, he said, uh, you have difficult clients. Everybody has difficult clients. You, you have to learn to deal with it and, and, and so on. So he let him back. So he wasn't that, he wasn't that frightened of her. He wasn't that terrified of her if he let her back. Did you ask him uh, about the social media posts? Yes. Did you review a number of those posts yourself? I, I reviewed all of the social media posts. How did he characterize the posts when you interviewed? Well, he told Dr. Simri they're annoying and harassing. 
and that there, Dr. Simi thought they were uh, um, coded messages. He thought that the manifesto was killing the king was him and Mary Haskins was the queen and there was this conflict between them. And Lauren's very, I mean, I, don't, I, I never met Lauren. I don't know anything about Lauren, but just to read these posts, she's obviously very bright and very creative. So, so she's writing all these things out in, in symbolism and that's how he interpreted it. I can see how he interpreted that. That's nothing distorted about it. I see how we interpret that. I think it's very reasonable interpretation. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Prosecutor Shellhorn next moves on to asking Dr. Schlesinger about how he assessed the defendant's memory of the events on the day of the shooting of Lauren Canarak. Now, moving uh, ahead to uh, closer in time to the date of the shooting, uh, did you ask Michael Barrisone about when he first obtained Ruth Cox's gun? Yes, I asked him. What did he tell you about Ruth Cox's gun? Ruth said in her statement that Michael asked to see her gun several days before the shooting. And I asked him about that. He said, I didn't ask to see her gun. And um, he explained that uh, Ruth Cox came there on August 2nd and uh, he, 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 Michael knew she traveled with a gun and he felt it wasn't safe in the car with Lauren there. And um, so uh, Ruth uh, gave me the gun and it went in the safe. That, that's what he told me. What's the significance, uh, if that answer is accurate, what's the significance of that answer? Well, the significance is he had the gun and that's the gun that was used in the shooting. Does it show anything with respect to the nature and quality of his actions? Does it show with res- nature to quality of actions with respect to what? Does it show anything with respect to whether he appreciates or knows the nature and quality of his actions? Well, you know, certainly knows the nature and quality of his acts, what a gun is, put it in, put it in the safe. Of, of course, absolutely. And the, also the gun was in a case and the ammunition was not loaded. Dr. Ruth said that and Michael said that. Did you ask him about the when the town came to the property? I believe that's on page 48 of your report, doctor. Uh, yes. I asked him about the, I mean, the fire safety complaint. Is that what you're referring yes. to? Yes. I asked him about that. And he said, we had a house. Our home was under construction, minor issues, and uh, Goodwin turned it in. Is there anything delusional about uh, anything with respect to that? No, not at all. Why not? Just isn't. It's all reality-based. The Goodwin did turn it in. The guy came. They condemned part of the um, uh, residence. And that was it. It all, it all actually happened. This is not in his mind. This happened. Now, are there different types of delusional disorder according to the DSM? Yes. Can a person with delusions know the difference between right and wrong? Depends on the case. Can a person with delusions know the nature and quality of their actions? Usually, yes. Now, moving on, doctor, and in the event I, I hadn't asked you this, just so I make sure I don't forget, are any diagnoses that you rendered within a reasonable degree of, of psychological certainty? All, all, all of them that I rendered. Now, you already told us about your diagnosis for depression. Uh, yes. Did you render a diagnosis related to personality disorder? Yes. Could you give me a page number, counsel? Uh, page 64. 64. Yes, I did. What is personality disorder? Personality disorder, is everybody has a personality. 
and personality disorder is when the traits are characteristic in one way. It's simple as that. I looked at him. I, be I believe he has a personality disorder. And I found that the two traits that are most characteristic of him are obsessive compulsive traits with a preoccupation for detail, order, organization, and control, devotion to work, inflexibility with respect to morality and ethics, and reluctance to delegate to others. I got this right. This is from the manual. I'm not just making that up. I went right through the criteria in the DSM, and he meets the criteria for that, obsessive-compulsive personality. Again, it's not bad. It's just characterizing uh, the way he is. A lot of successful people have obsessive-compulsive traits. And I also found deep feelings of inadequacy. I mean, if you look at, at this case in its entirety, inadequacy and low self-esteem always emerges. It comes out. It was certainly in Ann Picardo's um, text messages and notes. Even in a text to Mary Haskins, he said, I know I'm repulsive to you as a man. And when I questioned him directly, he showed feelings of inadequacy as well. So I think the traits that best characterize Michael are obsessive compulsive traits and inadequate traits. With respect to the personality disorder diagnosis, would that have affected his ability to know right from wrong on the day of the shooting? No, not at all. Would it have affected his ability to know or appreciate the nature and quality of his actions? No, not at all. The last uh, questions I'm going to ask you about, Doctor, you had referenced earlier malingered amnesia. Yes. And I know you talk about this in your report on pages 66 and uh, 67. Right. Can you remind us what malingered amnesia is? Okay, well, malingering is simply faking an illness. Now, the DSM is a very, it's very important because what they say is, and, and I'll refer to this on page 66 of my report, the essential feature of malingering is the intentional production of false symptoms, like memory loss, motivated by external incentives, such as, this is from the DSM, evading criminal prosecution. And the DSM also notes that malingering should be strongly suspected, not just suspected. I think that's possibly the only place in the manual where they use the word strongly suspected, not consider it, think about it, take a look at it. No, strongly suspected if you have some of these factors. The individual is referred by an attorney. Criminal charges are pending. A marked discrepancy between the individual's claimed disability and objective findings and observations. Lack of cooperation in the evaluation, that didn't apply. And in presence of antisocial personality, that didn't apply. But his uh, claimed disability is, uh, he claimed that he doesn't have memory only for the criminal behavior, only for the, his memory for everything else is excellent. Are you kidding? Day by day, in some cases, hour by hour as to what happened. So, you know, I considered first whether this is dissociative amnesia. I just didn't jump to a conclusion. This is malingered amnesia. But I will say malingered amnesia is, is very common in criminal cases. Dissociative amnesia means, means you forget something, and that can occur in a trauma. So I considered that. Why didn't you diagnose that? Because I don't think it's correct. I think that this is malingered amnesia for the reasons that I, that I, that I just said. You see... If you, rem if you have good memory like he does, and the only thing you forget is criminal conduct, that's a red flag because there's no memory disorder or neurocognitive dis disorder that is selective just for criminal conduct. So what does he not remember? Getting the gun, 
loading the gun, driving to where Lauren was, initially hiding the gun under his shirt, asking for a Goodwin to get Lauren. Lauren comes out. He said to her, are we going to resolve this or do we go to war? And then he shot her twice. And then he has no memory for anything else until he said he wakes up at the hospital with a big light on him and people are touching his, you know, his arm and his uh, head injury. But there's something very odd about that. First of all, the only thing you don't remember is the criminal behavior. Why is that? Why isn't every, if it's a trauma, why isn't everything blocked out? Also, when you go to the hospital, now just think, you, 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 you go to a hospital, you don't have any remember, memory of anything, you wake up in the hospital with a big light on you and, and the staff are, are, are touching you, the first thing you say is, where the hell am I? Well, what's going on here? Why am I here? He didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. And they asked him, what happened? He said, I don't remember. But what about the supposed delusion that she was going to kill him? If he doesn't remember getting the gun and shooting her, did he forget that he thought she was going to kill him? Really? He, and so the memory is not just for the criminal back. It's also for the supposed delusion. Well, why don't you say, I, 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 don't, I don't remember anything, but I know some woman's trying to kill me. That didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. Doctor, is there any difference between malingered amnesia and feigned amnesia? It's basically the same. Doctor, was this was this shooting difficult for you to understand? Shooting is not difficult to understand. It's a very easy to understand case. Judge, I have no further questions at this time. Judge Taylor next invites defense counsel Edward Belinkis to question Dr. Schlesinger. Cross-examination. Doctor, uh, you currently have another case with the Morse County Prosecutor's Office that you're uh, consulting on, correct? Correct. In this particular case, uh, you indicated that you spent a total of 13 hours, 13.25 hours with regards to your contact with my client, correct? Yes. And how much of that 13 hours was done uh, with testing? Probably the first hour or two, maybe. So you did about... An hour or two of te testing with, with regards to your evaluation, correct? About that. I mean, you were there. I didn't, I didn't time it, but you were there. Maybe you timed it. The rest of the time, you basically let Michael talk about this incident, correct? Well, that's probably not a completely accurate con uh, description of what I did. I, I let him talk, but it was a response to my questions. So it wasn't just a free flow, tell me what you think. I had a lot of pointed questions. Okay. Now, the testing that you did, uh, would you agree that uh, you did the short version of a number of tests? I did the abbreviated version of um, the Wexler uh, intelligence test, and I did the standard first 370 basic questions for the MMPI. How many questions did you give for the uh, MMPI? 370. And how many possible questions could you have given? Well, could I have given? I would have had to. I would have to interpret this test very differently. It's about. I don't even know. Maybe five hundred. I don't over even know. It could be over five hundred. Yeah. But are you saying you don't know the exact? I, I don't know the exact number because I don't give the complete version. I give the version that I give. In your discussions with uh, with Michael, you indicated in your report that the the problems, the conflict with Lord Cataract started in Florida. In 2019, correct? It was 2018, but I could be I could be wrong. Okay. If you refer to page four, if you report fifth line down, uh, is in effect you indicated on around May of 2019, uh, they returned to New Jersey, and then later on mentioned that the conflict between the parties 
seem to have begun in Florida. The conflict began in Florida, I believe it was 2018. If you look on page three in the bottom, um, she was training in, in North Carolina. Then Lauren attended uh, the Florida horse facility in the winter of 2018, received training there two to three months. That's where conflicts began. And then what April... Conflicts began she, in 2018. Yeah, that's what I said, in Florida. So what conflicts? Oh, interpersonal conflicts. There was interpersonal conflicts with respect to who was going to do the training. Was it Michael? Was it, um, was it Justin? The interpersonal conflicts. And, and would you agree that in May of 2019, uh, things started to get worse? The conflict uh, grew uh, more severe, correct? Yes. So without question, this conflict, this stress lasted well over one month, correct? Definitely. Now, did you discuss with Michael different uh, things that he did uh, to try to protect himself and everyone else at the facility. Were you referring to something specific, counsel? For instance, like him uh, hiring Bug Sweep. Yes, he hired Bug Sweep. Hired a, uh, a private investigator to do a criminal background check on, on him. Yes. And he also hired an individual by the name of Larry David to uh, sit at the top of, of the uh, property in front of the stable to protect the people inside at night. Correct. You said you reviewed all the social media posts. Yes. How many of them were there? I don't know. Estimate. Thousands. Tens of thousands? I, 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 I'm, I don't know. I got big binders. Maybe the prosecutor has an exact um, account. How thick were your binders regarding social media posts? Thick binders. How many binders? I don't know how many binders. I can't remember. Multiple binders. When you say multiple, do you have any specific recollection of how many social media posts you looked through? I don't have a specific recollection as to how many social media posts, except that I read all of them. Now, with respect to the number of binders, ask them. I, I have them at home, but I didn't count them. I, don't, I, may, I just don't know the exact number. You'll agree with me that with regards to the test that, that you gave, there are people that uh, question the validity of all of these tests. When you say there are people, what do you mean by that? Just a group of people that, if you want to attack a, a test, there are people out there for every single test that you gave where people question the validity and use of that test. Y yes, yes, I would, I would answer it more precisely. I would say that's how science progresses. People do tests, people do research, they question it, and then you move on. And, and would you agree with me that this is a, a, a fluid uh, science, things change, the, the way tests give are given changes? The way tests are given are changes, but some, some conclusions with respect to lack of validity are definitive and it's, and it's conclusive. You didn't put in your report everything that you reviewed. I put, Normally we not do that? I, I never do that. I say I review the entire state's case. Um, I, and I ask for the entire state's case. How many videotaped statements did you review? I reviewed all of them that I had. How many did you I, I don't remember what the exact number is, but let me think if I could, from my memory, Lauren's statement, the defendant didn't give a statement, Justin Harden gave a statement, Ruth Cox gave a statement, Mary Haskins gave a statement, DeFranco, I uh, can't remember her name, is, gave a statement. Who else? I don't know. There may have been another one. I just can't recall it offhand. Those are the major players, although DeFranco, not that much. Now, your position is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Michael's 
believed that Lauren Cataract was going to kill him, Mary Haskins, and her children is a rational, realistic fear. Oh, I didn't say it was rational and realistic, but it's not delusional. It was based on what was going on at the time. To be very, very specific, though, counsel, with respect to his belief of, of Lauren killing him, that had absolutely nothing to do with the shooting. Because at the day of the shooting, he said nothing about that. He said, are we going to resolve this or do we go to war and then shot her? It was nothing like, you think you're going to kill me, I'll kill you first or something, where you usually have in these sorts of confrontations. And it was triggered by the child um, investigator coming. That's what triggered the whole thing. It wasn't triggered the day before by the fire department coming. It was triggered by the, by the investigator. Who wouldn't be upset if he, he incorrectly thought that Lauren called child protection? She didn't, but that's what he thought. But, but hold on, counsel. Uh, hold, hold on, hold on. Just ask another question. Sometimes we get a little too far afield, doctor. We gotta reel it in. Question, answer, answer counsel's question. Don't deviate too much. Go ahead, ask another question. You're saying Lauren Cataract did not call DCPP. My understanding is that SafeSport called DCCP. That's now, my... Did you review all of Lauren Cataract's text messages? Yes. Were you aware that she had Googled a objection? After a quick sidebar conference to discuss the prosecution's objection, Judge Taylor asks Edward Belenkis to move on to another question. Did you... Uh reviewed the social media post where Lauren Cataract talked about going to war. I don't have a specific recollection of that statement, but I reviewed the social media post, yes. Do you have a specific recollection of uh, reviewing posts where she accused them of criminal conduct online? I, don't, I, I know that that was, Michael told me of an accusation that she accused them of insurance fraud and animal abuse, I think, and, and something else, so I'm aware of that. Okay, but you don't have a recollection of reviewing those documents, right. But his review of the document isn't really an issue, Mr. Belenkis. I've, I've been saying that for a long time now. The issue is what's in the defendant's mind. Right. So his statements are what's pertinent. So you should characterize or, or ask questions aimed at, at that issue. Understood. Did Michael tell you that he thought that Lauren Canerac was dangerous? Yes. Now, you indicated that other people on the farm felt the same way. Yes. Would you agree with me that no one felt that way to the extent that Michael Barrison did? Well, I would disagree to the extent that Mary Haskins certainly felt that, that because she said our life is in danger, and then she thought additionally that Lauren's father would come kill her. So that's pretty strong. And it's your belief that those beliefs of Mary Haskins were the exact same extent as what Michael Barrett felt. I can't tell you. I'm going to object to asking for state of mind of other people. Yeah, based on not an interview of her, but on listening to an interview. So, objection sustained. And is it your belief that those threats that Michael Barrett believed had a real, rational basis for him to believe them? What threats? That she was going to kill him, Mary Haskins, and the children. This is what he interpreted from the post. This, this interpretation was supported by Mary Haskins and Ruth Cox. Now, did Michael tell you that the reason why he took the gun from Cox 
was he believed it was unsafe to be in the car because he was afraid Lauren or Robert Goodwin would break into the car and get access to that weapon. Yes, he told me that. And, and do you believe that he was feigning when he told you that? No, I don't believe he was feigning. I think, you, uh, no, the answer is no. Now, with regards to your opinion that Michael is feigning amnesia as to not remembering the event, would you agree with me that during the incident, he was beaten about the head? No, that was post-incident. That was after the shooting. He shot Lauren twice, shot at Goodwin. Goodwin atta tackled him, punched him in the head, put him in a chokehold, and whatever else he did. That was afterwards. Okay, and that... And that's, that's according to your review of the discovery. Just, correct. Just so we're clear on the record. Yeah, yes, correct. Uh, that, that comes from the statements of Goodwin and Canarac, correct? Yeah, that was after the shooting. Yeah, he didn't hit him in the head before the shooting. Irrespective of when he received that beating, would you agree that a, an extensive beating to someone's head could cause amnesia? Possible, but not selective amnesia. Now, would you agree with me that within moments after the incident, when the police and the first aid people respond, that Michael Barrisone had indicated virtually to every single person that questioned him. But Mr. Belenkis, just if there's a specific, I don't, I don't like when you make a broad statement okay. like that. All right, just ask if, if, if your recollection tied to the evidence in the right. case. All right, go ahead, rephrase your question, please. Are you aware that with regards to the documents that were provided to you, that immediately after the incident, that every single in, uh, person in my... Oh, wait a second. Am I talking to myself? You don't characterize it every single person. Okay. I said tie it to a specific witness. You can go through each of the witnesses. I don't mind if you're doing that, but I, you can't just Understood, say everybody Judge. because I'm not sure that was the testimony. Doctor, are you aware that with regards to the first aid people, that Michael Barrison, when asked about the event, said he could not recall anything concerning the event. My recollection is with the EMT person, he made a statement that a person was gonna to come to the farm and take my kids away. That's my recollection. And in addition to that, that he had no recollection of a specific event after that? That's what he said to the EMT people. After the shooting, and as the police came, he made fatalistic statements. Uh, I, I, can't re I have it in my report, but I can't recall something like, my life is over, I had a good life, they took it all away. Fatalistic statements. Those statements indicate that he un he remembered what happened because he didn't say what happened. What he didn't say arrest Goodwin. He just attacked me. Did any document that you read indicate that when they first arrived he was partially conscious? Yes. Did any document indicate to you that he was incoherent? Some did. Some did not. Did hold on, counsel. Counsel, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Just answer his question, please. All right. Is That's it. Is fact? that within, with respect to all the medical records, they indicated that he was confused and he had an altered mental state. Some medical records said that and the police record said something different. And, and didn't one police report indicate that at one point he says, is this real? I need to wake up. I believe he said that in the ambulance. You're sure about that? That's my recollection. I questioned him about that, and, and it's in my report with respect to, to that. Okay. Now, you're aware that Michael Barrisone had seen Ann Picardo 
over a 20-year period, correct? Correct. Did you ever talk to her? No. I have nothing further. And with that, the state tells Judge Taylor that they have no more rebuttal witnesses to call. The judge asks the defense if they have any more witnesses, and Edward Belinkus announces that he would like to recall forensic psychologist Dr. Charles Hassan to the stand to rebut Dr. Schlesinger's testimony. After Dr. Hassan takes the oath, Belinkus begins to question the witness. Dr. Hassan, I'm, I'm going to try to ask you some very specific questions, and if you could answer as distinct and direct as possible. You've Dr. Schlesinger testify with regards to you scoring his test of the MMPI, correct? Yes. And, and why did you use his scores? It was an existing test. I wanted to compare his scores to my scores and to see if there was any kind of discrepancy. Okay. And was there any discrepancy? Well, first of all... Answer yes or no, please. No discrepancy. Okay, and what did you find with regards to your scoring using his data? On, on, on which test? The MMPI. Okay. Found a very elevated score on the scale, remarkably elevated, scale 90. Uh, scale, scale 6 with a T-score of 90, which suggests a delusional disorder. Secondly, I also found an elevation on a scale that indicates persecutory ideas. Then I also scored other scales on there that all point in the direction of a delusion. Okay, did you hear his testimony basically saying that that score of 90 means nothing? Well, not what he said, Judge. Yeah, it's well, not exactly what he, what he said. That he, that he didn't agree with your interpretation of that 90 score. Did you hear his testimony? Yes, I heard that. And, and what's your response to that? I think that he should be more familiar with the literature on that test. And as I indicated earlier today, the particular person who I referenced, James um, Butcher, he said that you should look up the references in order to understand that. And I indicated the things from uh, Nichols, David Nichols. But basically, I can um, totally uh, defend any position that a score of so elevated score on scale six is indicative of a delusional disorder. Right. Now, with regards to his testimony concerning the Rorschach, you heard that, correct? May I just add something? This is very important. In the book that was shown to me yesterday by Butcher, uh, Butcher said, under no circumstances should you play around with hand scoring the test because it's too vulnerable to make errors. That was the reason I ran through the test a second time rather than use his scores. I compared it. Okay, let's move to the Rorschach. Okay. Okay, with regards to the Rorschach, what, if any, problems did you identify with regards to his administration of that test? Well, I don't know. I don't, first of all, he used a non-standard approach, which is remarkable to me. He did not indicate where the percepts were located. You have to open up the book to find out where it's located. He eyeballed the data. In my opinion, that is a violation of being able to analyze tests in terms of being reliable and valid. Now, with regards to the TAT. Basically, the TAT, he eyeballed the data. That test does not have any error scores in there. There's no validity, reliability. And the elephant in the room that I saw was the fact that on two of the cards, there were weapons in there. One was a rifle and one was a handgun, it looked like. And um, Mr. Barrison did not discuss that. And what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, if you, you accept the projective hypothesis that uh, apparently uh, Dr. Schlesinger 
implies into, you ask yourself, why did the person ignore that? Is it part of a dissociation where you look at the environment and you see a stimulus? You don't see a stimulus because it's so stressful to you. Okay. Also, I'll try to keep it simple, stupid. Also, there was very few responses on that test. Uh, there was just 14 responses. Also, just to have everyone know, on the RPAS and by Meyer and the CS, trust me, those international norms are not considered valid. I mean, there's questions about it. There's a very low sample size on the international laws, laws, and also on the extra. There are about 600 plus people on that. The people they studied on the inter- I'm gonna cut right, you okay. As, the, as far as the HTP test that he talked about, what's your opinion as to how he did that? A joke, it's eyeballing data. Anyone could come up with an, an, an opinion on that. There's no validity there. Okay, doctor, he says he performed tests for about an hour to two hours. How long did you test Michael Barrett for how many hours? I'd say maybe uh, seven hours. And it also, to score the Rorschach, you're talking about two, two and a half hours. That's a highly in, in a difficult test to score. All the data on the RPAS group comes from Exna. The Exna system was incorporated into the RPAS system. I don't know if uh, he is aware of that. Okay, now, finally, with regards to his comments concerning you administering the PAI test, and him reading those things yeah. with the, you know, warning sign on the top of the page. What does that mean, and how uh, did you interpret that test? Simply, I don't think he knows the literature on terms of validity testing. He does not know the uh, literature from uh, Richard Rogers. I use Richard Rogers' cut scores. Richard Rogers and his group took into account standard error of the measurement. For example, uh, well, okay, let's go on if you want me to uh, stop. The uh, Bender-Gestalt test. Bender-Gestalt test is a joke in this kind of a case. Bender-Gestalt test has false negatives. That means I could be brain damaged and do perfectly well on that test. That's not a, um, an adequate test for organicity. How about the WASI test? Well, that's a joke too, I'm sorry to say. The WASI test and the Wexler test, you know what they have in common? The name, Wexler. It is known that the WASI test will typically elevate scores. That's why his scores are higher than my scores. That's one of the factors, but that's known. You should never give the WASI test if you're looking to give a, a complete, honest uh, evaluation. Nothing further. What, cross-examination? None, Judge. All right, you may step down, thank you. And with that, testimony concludes in the trial of Michael Barrisone, and we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty. Join us on our next installment as we begin our examination of the trial's closing arguments. If you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Music 
You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and the trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison.